Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six feet five inches tall. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at biggirlpoker.com. And now, Donna Blevins. Well, hi, this is Donna Blevins, and welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat. I'm going to be responding to what listeners have asked me, and I have treats for you today. We're going to focus on how to take your online poker to live. That'll perk up your ears and improve your game. It's going to be fabulous with this fantastic guest I'm going to have, but I'll talk to you about him in just a second. First, I'd like to remind you about the Bravo Poker Live app. I love it. I downloaded it directly to my Android phone as well as my desktop computer. Several of my coaching clients downloaded it on their iPhone and love it as well. This is real-time, responsive app that makes it a breeze to check out the current live action and tournaments in your local card rooms. You know, it just works like magic. It's linked directly into the Bravo Poker Room management system and shows you what games are being spread and even how many people are on the waiting list. Any serious poker player simply must use this app. You can download it free at bravopokerlive.com or you can search it on your phone. So today I've got a guest with me who is Jonathan Little and I'm so thrilled. Gosh, he's he's just got got a batch of stuff going on. He's written four poker books. He's got about $4 million in live tournaments. Jonathan, I want to welcome you this afternoon. Hello, I'm happy to be here. And I want to tell you something, too. This is really fun because your 2008 Foxwood WPT Finals victory, that was your first big victory, wasn't it? It was actually my second one. I won one at the Mirage about a year before that. Okay. Well, the one of the reasons that I thought about it was Woods. It was 2005. Now I didn't finish real high. It was uh, just under 800 players, and I finished 91st. But I won my satellite. I won a sat- $1,000 satellite into the 10,000 entry, and I finished 90- 91 and got about 11,000. So, in 2008, you got 1.2 million. I got 11,000. <laughs> You actually probably did not have that bad of a, turn, of a return on your investment, seeing I got him for a satellite. But, I mean, it definitely shows you that winning the tournament is where the money is at, and that's what I've tried to learn how to do ever since I first started playing live tournaments. I mean, when I first started playing live tournaments, my first caches were all min caches, and I was caching something like 35% of the time, and I was thinking, wow, I'm the best player ever. But really, they were all min caches, and I you know, did... A, a little bit of quick math and realize, oh, I'm not going to be a very big winner if I'm min-cashing 35% of the time and losing all the other ones. So I decided to learn how to go about winning. And what did you do in your changes? How did you change to to get there? Well, to start off, the reason that I was playing mostly to cash was that I started playing sit-and-goes on the Internet initially. And if you, if you get to the top three out of nine or ten people you get in the money and it's not incredibly difficult to get to the top three more often than you should and then you can just gamble once you get there and try to win and it's usually going to work out pretty well for you but in tournaments you have to get to the top you know one percent of people and you can't just sit around and wait for good cards to get to the top one percent of people so i started raising more hands and re-raising more hands and just generally being more aggressive and not being afraid to gamble here and there i mean when i first started playing my initial 
thought process was to be super tight and just wait for the best hands possible, but I quickly, quickly realized that a lot of other people are doing that too. And the way you abuse those people is by playing more hands with them in a, in a very aggressive manner whenever it's somewhat clear they don't have premium hands. How How has poker changed over the years? You've been playing live since what year? Oh, I guess I started in about 2006 when I was turned 21. Okay. I think so how that sounds has, about right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was 2005, 2006. So how has the poker changed since 2006 to nearly 2014? How has the poker changed over these years? Well, the, the big problem is that a lot of players have gotten significantly better because at any game of skill, if people are paying attention and actively learning, they're going to get better. Maybe not all at the same rate, but they will all improve. And because of that, the general skill set of most players has greatly improved. I mean, you'll see now a $500 live tournament plays probably about equally as tough as a $10,000 buy-in live tournament played five or six years ago. And that's just because all those players have watched the people at the higher stakes games and they've figured out what they're doing, and they're taking that to their games, and they're using that. And the high buy-in games have also gotten much tougher, whereas a lot of the players who were the losing players have quit or moved down intelligently. And because of that, you're left with a lot of very good players. So in order to win at those games, you have to figure out how to beat the best people. So what do you believe poker players must do to keep up with these changes? You have to sort of figure out what you and the other players in your player pool do not know and figure out how to go about solving those problems. So, for example, at the higher state games, is a really simple example, um, a long time ago everyone thought you were supposed to raise the three big blinds with every hand you were going to play before the flop because that's what people thought you were supposed to do. And in reality, that's very far from optimal in poker terms, especially once your stacks get somewhat shallow, you should be raising to the minimum. And once people started doing that, people also realized, hey, I can continuation bet small on the flop and then get called by my enti opponent's entire range of hands, and then I can bet again on the turn and now put them in a pretty bad spot. So what's happening in the high-stakes games is, are, is people are making a lot of fairly small bluffs that don't need to work very often to succeed. So now in turn, pe since people aren't really playing back at these bluffs as often as they should, what you have to do now is you have to start check-raising a lot or simply not folding hands like bottom pair and ace-high. So, you know, the game gets a little bit more, I'm not going to say aggressive, because the game's not necessarily more aggressive, because people are betting smaller amounts. But you just have to realize that you are trying to get closer to showdown with hands that have the proper amount of equity. And if you're folding often whenever your opponents are betting small, it's not going to work out too well for you. But currently in today's games, people are folding too often to the small bets. So that's working at the moment. So, so you think people should be making those smaller bets rather than larger bets initially because I'm I'm more I I really don't come in as much with with smaller bets. My cash my cashing in tournaments is really is really very good. Uh over the past two and a half years I've I've cashed in four out of five the tournaments that I've played. And they haven't been really big out of out of the area. I've done most of them in Florida. But I'm I'm a, a probably tight aggressive is probably where I where I I'm coming from and I don't I'm not as comfortable and I don't work as well with those smaller men men bets what do you suggest well I guess my first question is why do you feel uncomfortable 
Well, I I don't I don't feel like I'm taking control. I, why do you, I feel why like do you need to have control? I want to have control because I want to have control of the hand. Yeah, see, I think I, that's sort of a, a notion that's been taught at, through a lot of the older poker books that you want to be the guy driving the action and whatnot. And people feel like if they if they're making small bets and they let their opponents in with a lot of hands, they don't really know where they stand a lot of the time. Okay. And what happens is, as you start making these smaller bets, you're going to get played back at more, and you're going to figure out that, hey, my opponents are playing back at me more, so therefore my range of hands that I have to continue with is going to start getting wider. And you'll you'll end up learning to play a better post-flop game. That's really what it amounts to. And I, I feel like whenever you make big bets pre-flop, what happens is you force your opponent to have a pretty good range of hands to call. And that would be great if you were winning a lot every time they folded, but the problem is you're only winning the blinds every time they fold. And if you're playing a tight game to start off with, if you're winning the blinds, say, one in 15 hands, and then, you know, occasionally they'll give you their stack whenever they make a blatant error or something, you're you're going to slowly get ground down. And you really want to be slowly grinding up, because if you're slowly winning a lot of small pots, you're going to find that whenever you get it all in, you're going to have, say, probably about one and a half times as much as your opponents. Then even if you get it in slightly bad in those spots, it's okay, because you're, you'll still have half a stack left whenever you get all in and lose. So the way to get comfortable with being in any situation is to just try it more. I mean, I know whenever people started three betting a ton, the standard play before people started uh, finding the small bet, the smaller bet adjustment was to just go all in or make a big re-raise and force them out with a lot of stuff. But what has happened recently, and that especially online this is happening a lot, is someone will raise to say five 500 preflop, and someone will re-raise to say 1,100 out of their, let's say, 20,000 chip stack. And then the next guy will re-raise, the initial raiser will make it 2,200, you know, a very small re-raise back. And what happens is that puts the three better in a pretty bad spot because he doesn't want to call because even though he's in position, he doesn't really know anything about his opponent's range. He doesn't want to re-raise because now if his opponent actually does have a good hand, he's going to end up losing four or 5,000 chips, which you don't want to do. And it puts your opponent in a pretty bad spot. And just sort of think about it in a lot of spots whenever you're playing. Like, what would I do if my opponent did make a smallish re-raise here? How would I feel? Would I be happy about this? And the answer is almost always no, because usually you don't have anything in No Limit Hold'em. So because of that, if you want to be putting your opponents in those bad spots. Okay, I'm, I, I've got to get, get, get working on that more. I know that when... When I'm at the very beginning, at the very beginning, the top, maybe the first six levels of a tournament, you know, I, I will come out with a, a larger initial bets, but as the blinds go up, I do come in much smaller. They do get smaller as, as it goes along. So I'm, I'm going to look at that and see how I can be comfortable with coming out with that, that a little minimum plus on that initial bet and see how that will work. Uh, that, that's a good thing for me to practice. Yeah, I think one of the important things to realize is that you don't have to be comfortable in all spots. It's okay to be well out of your comfort zone. And that's the way you improve is by pushing the boundaries. If you stick to the same strategy every time and just hope it wins, that's not going to work out because people are going to figure out your default strategy eventually. And because of that, you have to constantly be adjusting. And if you're always doing what you are expected to do, your opponent is going to quickly figure it out. And an example of this is in my... My, turn, my books, uh, Secret of Professional Tournament Poker, I talk a lot about pot controlling on the turn, which is where you check back the turn with something like top pair because you don't want to get check raised, and it also makes your opponent bluff into you on the river. 
And I think it's a very good play, assuming your opponents assume you're going to bet those hands. But the problem with this is, is that everyone I've played against has read my books. And so <laughs> they know, at least they think they know, that I like to check back the turn when I have top pair. So when I bet the turn, they think I have either the nuts or nothing. And so what I've been doing recently is just betting the turn with all my top pairs and getting three streets of value. So you have to figure out what your opponents expect you to do and then do the opposite. But you have to be really accurate with your assessment. Otherwise, you're going to be doing the reverse, and that's going to put you in a pretty bad spot. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to me about the difference of doing online poker and live games. You know, Today, in the United States, we don't have the opportunity to pay, play as much online as we want to. And a lot of people have been wanting to take their game to live, but they haven't had as much experience. So what kind of difference? How can people bring their online game to li- online poker to live games so that they will be a better player? Well, it's it's sort of a tough thing to summarize in, in just a short period of time, but pretty much I I think that everyone generally agrees that the online games are much tougher than live games, and because of that, you if you can beat medium and high stakes live games or even small stakes live games for any amount you're probably going to have the technical skills to win at live poker, so you need to focus on the things that you never have to do while playing live or while playing online poker. And that's usually make sure you're, you have to make sure that you are not giving off any tells, and you have to make sure you are making the proper bet sizes and counting the pot correctly. And you know, whenever you're playing online, they put the the chip counts in front of you, so you have to figure out how to keep a running count of those in your head as while you play. And you really just have to make sure you're not giving off too much to your opponents. You also have to be sure that you're observing things from your opponents because the reason that live poker is so profitable compared to online is because your opponents are going to give off tells that tell you the strength of their hand, or at least your bad opponents are. And because of that, you can make plays that are you know, thought to be almost absurd online, where you know live poker you can make huge call downs way more often and way more profitably than you can in online poker. And also, you can make bigger folds when it's just clear your opponent has the nuts. So you have to you have to figure out the differences and then make sure you're focusing on those differences. Well, you were saying that you're not giving off your own tails. You know, how are people going to to prepare for a live game for themselves? What are they going to change about their particular image? I, you know, when I first worked with uh, an online poker. Academy, which was the the very very first online um, school, it, it was amazing how people. It was in two thousand and three or two thousand four. They went to Tunica, Mississippi, and and we did a, a a seminar for them on how they needed to deal with their their tails. And what was interesting was that people absolutely had no concept of their tails when they were going from online to poker. It was just astonishing how people would. You know they would react, you know, just like they were reacting to to a screen, and that was one of the things that people had to realize that they had to be in control of their own image. How do you suggest people become be in control of their image? What do they need to do to prep prep for a live game? Well, in terms of just actually not giving off tells, I mean, I think it's important to make sure you don't have tons of excess energy. I know that whenever I'm in a hand, for example, I don't really do anything. I don't. I don't move anything. You know, I'm not shuffling chips. I'm not scratching my face or anything like that. I mean, if you get an itch, you just sit there and you deal with it. And if you feel like shuffling your chips, you, you don't. Or 
Oh, thank uh, you for saying that. I had been saying that for so long and saying, do not shuffle your chips. Thank you so much for saying that. Go on, please. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for doing whatever you want while you're not in a hand. But whenever you're in a hand, that's your three minutes to sit there and only play poker. And, you know, when you make when you make a bet, you do the same hand, make the same motions. That That's what works best for me. I just do the exact same thing every time. And if you practice at home before you go play, you'll find that it's not incredibly difficult. I feel like a lot of players, they just lose their mind when they're at the table and they don't they don't think about these things at all because they end up giving off tells. Uh-huh, they um, do. I, I actually commentated at a final table one time where this guy, every time he had a big hand, he would put about 20 chips on top of his cards. And every time he had a garbage hand, he would put two chips on top of his cards. <laughs> that kills and, me. I love it. Yeah, we picked it up really quickly because we were, we, you know, we could see the guy's whole cards. But, I mean, if you're sitting there at the table, it probably won't take you that long to figure that one out because that's something that your opponent does that is drastically different when he has a good hand versus a bad hand. So you just need to make sure you're doing the exact same thing every time, and it's it's not hard. Like, I mean, I don't use a card protector because you might put it on in a different spot whenever you have a good hand versus a bad hand, or you might, you know, fiddle with it funny or something, you know? You, you want to make it to where you cannot screw anything up. And, for example, with my chips, I stack my chips with the biggest denominations on the left and the smallest denominations on the right. And I have, I guess it's a system of what, the way I stack my chips so that I know exactly where everyone is. I mean, I could probably play blindfolded and have no problem, so I could look at my cards, of course. But, you know, I know where each chip is, and I can, I'm not going to misclick ever. You'll find a lot of guys, they'll put their 5,000 chips on the bottom of their stack, and then their hundreds on top of those, and then in another pile, the 500s, and then the 25 somewhere else, and they end up grabbing two 100s and a 5,000 and throw it in, and they think they're making it 300, but instead they make it 5,200. And, you know, mistakes like that are unacceptable. It's a super easy thing to fix. Just put your chips in different stacks and pay attention to what you're doing. So I think it's really just a, an exercise in being mindful at the table and not mindlessly playing and throwing money in the pot. I love that. I love that. When players are playing in a live tournament or live cash games or in tournament, when they're playing against these hyper-aggressive players, and these are the the players that so many people are having difficulty with today. How do they play against this hyper-aggressive players? Tell me some suggestions. Well, you have to think, what is the hyper-aggressive player doing that gives you problems? So, I mean, what do they do that gives you problems? They're coming out betting regardless of position, and they're they're re-raising they're raising regardless of position. They seem to be – there's no way that they can be having hands because they're being aggressive way past the number of times that they would have cards. Okay, so if you know they don't have a hand most of the time, how should you react to that? Sounds like you're going to re-raise them. It sounds like you're going to re-raise them. That's exactly it. <laughs> well, darn. <laughs> it's, it's not – It's. I mean, this is a – this is sort of a problem that happened a few years ago when people started watching a lot of online poker training sites where uh-huh. they were teaching, you know, you need to be re-raising a lot because people play poorly against it. You really have to look, especially in um, situations that come up all the time, you need to look for easy things you can do to make your opponent's life tough. And if you re-raise someone, it makes their life tough unless they have aces, kings, or queens, and ace, king. Unless they know how to adjust. And you're going to find that a lot of players do not adjust properly. They're just going to fold. And, I mean, if you are raising with ace jack and the guy re-raises you and he's re-raising you all the time and you're just folding every time your opponent's quickly going to realize that whenever you do actually put in the four bet and re-raise him that you have a very good hand 
So he's going to easily get off the hook. And this is also why I like the small re-raises. So say you're playing 100, 200, and you know, say I raise to 450, and my opponent re-raises to 900 or 1,000. That's a pretty bad spot with whatever I have, because if I call, I'm going to be out of position, and I'm going to be taking a flop with a marginal hand, so that's not ideal. If I fold, you don't want to be folding. If I four-bet, my opponent can call on position, so that's not good. So really, all my options are fairly bad. So you want to look for spots where you can put your opponent in a bad spot. And that's why re-raising pre-flop is so powerful. Um, but the way you can combat an aggressive person is to, well, you have two options. You can either play tighter preflops such that whenever you do raise, you pretty much plan with going your, with your hand. And when I say that, means you're probably going to four-bet and then just be happy getting a lot of money in with all of your hands that you're opening with. But that's really not the best adjustment because that's not going to allow you to steal lots of small pots. That's the situation where you're going to get ground down before the flop instead of grinding up. The other solution, which is significantly better and is going to help you win tournaments, is to start re-raising them with a lot of hands as well. And that's especially going to be useful if they think you're going to be well in line. So if you have the image of you know, a middle-aged or older player who is expected to have good hands, whenever you 4-bet, people are going to fold. And you really don't have to make it huge either. So say, like I said, you make it 450 and they make it 1,000 or 1,100, you can just make it 2,300. And your opponent's going to call sometimes, and that's fine. And when they call, just bet 2,000 on the flop, and you're going to pick it up whenever they don't have anything. So you give yourself a really good shot to win it pre-flop cheaply, and then you also give yourself to win it a uh, shot to win it cheaply on the flop. And then you can play the turn of the river accordingly. But um, it's you're going to find that you have more variance. You're going to go broke sometimes, and you're going to double up sometimes. And whenever you double up, those are the times that you end up making very deep runs. Mm-hmm. So really, you have to get out, get out of your comfort zone and fight. It's it's not going to be just a super easy play your good hands and win. That's that's not the game we're playing today. Now now the game is you have to get in there and fight for pots. And if you're not fighting for them, you can't really expect to win too much. Yeah, I, I know. What I do with PokerPureAndSimple.com, which is one of my membership sites, is I talk about the fact that with Poker Pure and Simple, it's first off you have to first of all learn about yourself. Then you have to learn about the other players. And then third of all, it's about the cards because, crap, you know, most of the time we just don't need no stinking cards. You know, you got to get, you got to outplay the player and, and with, their, with your action rather than looking for just having cards because if you just have cards, you are going to dwindle down to nothing because you just don't give cards enough. Right. What it really amounts to is you have to find where your opponent has holes in their game, and then you have to tailor your strategy against that exact player to take advantage of them. I mean, I know I have tons of holes in my game, and I know exactly where they're at. And because of that, I know against certain players, they're going to realize these holes, and they're going to start exploiting them. So, for example, I like to continuation bet the flop a lot. And if you're continuation betting the flop a lot, your opponent's adjustment's really easy. They just check-raise a lot. And... So if, if I realize someone's check-raising me a lot, I instantly feel that leak in my game of three-betting too much, or sorry, continuation-betting too much, and then I'll be able to play better against my opponent whenever they do check-raise, because I'll have, I'll have a stronger range. But you need to figure out what your opponent is doing incorrectly, and then do whatever you need to do to make, or to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I started learning poker in 1996, and this, at 1996, that was almost twice the age of what you are now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't know how to do anything. When, in 1996, I, I 
came out of the third half of my life, and I decided I wanted to learn how to play poker. And for many years, I refused to learn pot odds. I just convinced myself that I was a very good intuitive poker player, and I didn't really need to know how to know pot odds, but I was mistaken. It was a major hole in my game. And that was one of the things that I finally learned. It was astonishingly easy when I finally learned it. I don't know why I was so resistant to it. I mean, I was really good at math, but I was just really resistant about it. It seemed to be confusing to me, which it's not. Tell me, to tell the people that are listening to us, how, how important is learning pot odds for today's poker players? Well, there really isn't that much math that's involved in poker. I mean, I, I, at least at the low and mid, and even like at the fairly high levels, a lot of the math involved that's actually difficult in poker is dealing with heads-up situations where you're playing at a super high level against very, very good opponents. You're really just trying to find a game theory optimal approach, but... I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, pot odds are very necessary. Um, it's extraordinarily simple to learn. I, I lay it out in my books. In Volume 1, I, I lay it out because it, it is the basics. And if you don't know the basics, you, you cannot be expected to do well. I mean, it's like trying to go run a marathon before you can run a, a half a mile or something. It's, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So you, you just have to learn. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's I mean, you can pretty much Google it on any site. Just Google pot odds help or something like that, and it'll bring up a site, and then it'll tell you exactly what to do. So, I mean, it's it's not very difficult once you sit down and actually think about it. You're going to find that poker is not a very easy game to learn. You're going to have to study a lot, and if you decide that you're just going to show up to the table and try to win because, you know, you're equally smart as everyone else, why, why should they be any better than you? You're going to find that you get humbled fairly quickly because it's not an extraordinarily easy game to sit down and play, especially if your opponents already know what they're doing to some extent. So mm-hmm. I definitely suggest you study up. I mean, before I ever played poker for real money at all, I'd already read something like 15 poker books, and you know, I, I studied a ton before I ever played, and I think that most people should probably do that. Oh, I think that's absolutely critical. Now, what would you suggest as far as people reading today? I mean, your books are phenomenal. I've, I have not had them in my hand, but I've gone through all the reviews of them, and I'm going to have them next week. I've already ordered them off of Amazon, so you can be excited to know that. I'm going to have them next week because I really want to to read them. I go through all levels of books, even if they're simplified, because I find that, that they stimulate things in my game. What I'd like to find out from you is what guidelines do you give for people in, in their bankroll management? Because I know you've had some bankroll management challenges when you were starting out in poker. Uh, what do you suggest people do with their bankroll management? Well, it depends on what you want to get out of poker. You're going to find that most people who play poker are not actually playing it extraordinarily seriously, such that if they go broke, they're in a very terrible situation. Like, if I go broke, it's not going to be very good for me. So I have to have extraordinarily sound bankroll management. Um, if you're if you go to play, a, you know, say, a $100 tournament each week at the casino, and that's the only thing you play, and you make you know, say $50,000 a year, it doesn't really matter if you have bankroll management because you're only going to lose $400 a week or $400 per month, and that's probably going to be in your disposable income category. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take it as a professional, though, it, you definitely want to keep a fairly large bankroll, and it's it's really based on your adva- your skill advantage above your opponent's and how much you expect to win per tournament. So your return on investment, that is important. And also the variance you expect to encounter, which is 
kind of your standard deviation. Um, so, for example, with a tournament that has, say, 15 people, you probably don't need that large of a bankroll if you're the best player in the game and the rake is fairly low. So maybe you need to keep 30 buy-ins or something. But if you're playing a, like a World Series event with 5,000 people and you know, you're probably not the best player because there are a lot of good players in that tournament, you'll probably need something like 400 buy-ins. So that's assuming you want to play the, the game indefinitely and never go broke. So you have to figure out how much variance you expect to encounter and go from there. There are a lot of sites online where you can just go to bankroll calculator. And you're going to find that you are probably vastly underestimating what you think is good bankroll management. I know a lot of players who play live poker at cash games are like, yeah, I can sit down with 30 buy-ins to my name and I'll be in great shape. But in reality – you're going to ha- run way worse than you could possibly ever expect. And you're also going to run way better sometimes. And you have to be prepared prepared for the bad times. I know whenever I used to play sit-and-goes a lot online, I would have pretty much like clockwork two months per year where I ended up losing money. And usually, I mean, it happens. It's it's just part of the part of the playing. I mean, I was playing a lot, too. I was playing maybe 3,000 games per month. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize, whenever you're playing live poker, you don't actually play very many games. And because of that, you, something like one year of live poker is equal to maybe a week of online poker. And mm-hmm. it, it's, thorough, it's very easy to have a losing week online. I mean, that's standard. Um, someone did some math a long time ago, and they were looking at the stats of the best players in the world online. And they would win – I'm talking about from multi-table tournament players – who played tournaments that had a lot of people in them, they would win something like three months out of the year, and then the other eight, nine months would be losers or break-even. And what happened is the winning months, they'd always win you know, a few hundred thousand, and then the break-even months, they'd be break-even or a small loser. And th- that's over a month, which is, you know, each month is equivalent to, say, four years of live play. So mm-hmm. realize mm-hmm. you're going to have lots of variance, and in order to get any sort of reasonable sample size, you have to get a lot of volume in. To actually see the, the swings that some of the best live poker players go through, you can go to sharkscope.com and type in, I think, live poker or something like that under the, the search bar and type in players' real names and it'll tell you that it'll show you a graph of their of their winnings. You'll find a lot of guys have pretty rough graphs where they just haven't won any big tournament. If you don't win any big tournaments, you're going to have a rough-looking graph. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I find that another major hole in most poker players' game is that they truly believe they're better at poker than they really are. But usually what happens is they don't keep their records or track their wins and losses. They really think they really say they're good, but they really don't know about that budget, about their bankroll. They really don't know where they are. You know, how do they need to keep their records? Well, there's a an app for the iPhone. It's called Poker Journal. It will do basically everything you want to do in terms of record keeping. I personally keep an Excel spreadsheet at home, and every time I go play poker, I write down that. I keep track of my expenses, you know, hotel, hotel bills, um, travel bills, like other incidentals, like if you have to take a taxi or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do, and it keeps track of all of it. And at the end of the year, you figure out where you're at. And uh, you definitely have to keep track of your results. I mean, it's it's almost insane to not think of keeping track of your results. I mean, if you if you do anything in life, you try to keep track of how you're doing. I, or at least I do. You know, if I'm doing something poorly, I want to know why I'm doing poorly, and I want to improve. And if I'm doing well, I want to know what I can do to get better. 
So um, I, a lot of people do think that they are good at poker, and that's because they tend to remember the best times. You remember the best times and the worst times, and usually the worst times are when you get unlucky. You're, you're not going to remember, oh, man, this guy absolutely destroyed me in the spot. You're just going to think, oh, I got unlucky. This guy had a better hand than me. So you're going to write off a lot of your bad plays to bad luck, and your wins, you're going to think, yeah, look how great I was. You know, you're not really going to care if you won four coin flips to win this tournament or something like that. So uh, mo most players do think they are significantly better than they are, and f that's the reason that the game is profitable is because people are delusional. It's not like a game <laughs> like like golf where you know you just you, you can't get on the pro tour unless you're good, whereas in, li in live poker you can hop right on you know the, the big poker tours if you're if you feel like it because if you have money you can play. A good way to know if you're actually good is to keep track of your money and realize if you are winning. And also, whenever you're playing at the table, you really need to look around and figure out what are my opponents doing wrong and what can I do about it. And if the answer is they're not doing too much wrong, then that's that means you're probably not going to be profitable at that table or against those exact opponents. And what I do every time I go to play any tournament, as before I buy in for the, the ones that are expected to be tough, I'll wait and see what the field looks like. And if it's tough, I just won't play. Because if you're not a winner in the field, there's no point in playing unless you're just gambling. And you know, my goal is not to go there and gamble. My goal is to go there and win. So quite often at um, the end of European Poker Tour events, they have a turbo six-handed tournament that takes something like four hours. And it's usually something like five or $10,000 buy-in. And sometimes they have 80 or 100 people, and it's pretty soft. And then sometimes there are 40 people, and it's not soft at all. So... You have to show up and play games that you can beat, and that is at the point where I feel like perhaps I don't have much of an edge, because if the tournament's super slow and there are no bad players, why do I want to play with everyone else who is equally good as me? And you may have those games in your hometown. You have to figure out if you are better than your opponents, and that's the really difficult thing for a lot of players to do, because they don't actually understand what makes a good player in the first place. They just think, oh, if I get it all in good, I must be doing it right, but that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the case. What I'd like for you to close with today, Jonathan, is tell us what kind of coaching you do and what you offer to, to people. Oh, I do a lot of different types of coaching. The cheapest thing everyone can do is just buy my books. They are something like $15 on Amazon, so they're relatively cheap. Uh, what I also do is I have a poker training site. It's called floattheturn.com. And there it is $8 per month. I offer a bunch of pre-recorded videos. And also each month I do a question and answer webinar with all of the people who want to show up. And we have a few other coaches who do the same thing. So you have many opportunities to ask good players what you would do in spots and you know their opinions on general situations. Um, there's also a forum on there where I get on and answer everyone's questions. And it, we have a good community that's growing, and I'm happy with that. Um, something else I've been doing recently is I've been having sort of like live seminars on the Internet where people can – well, I'll, I'll, I'll have something I want to talk about. So recently I did a seminar on three-betting and four-betting, so we were just talking about this actually. And it was very popular. It was very well-received because a lot of people don't realize what their opponents are doing, and I laid out pretty clearly and you know easy to – under in a, in a way that's easy to understand – what your opponents are doing, what you can do, and how you can take advantage of them, and how you can take advantage of your tight opponents. And um, before that one, I did one on bluffing. People love the one on bluffing because, again, they, they are not used to running big bluffs. And I 
laid out a bunch of spots where you should be running pretty big bluffs. If, and if you're not, you're missing opportunities to win money. So anyways, those are sort of like classes, and I do those as well. If you want to get information on this, you can go to floattheturn.com, sign up for the email list, and I'll email you. I, I love also, your stuff. I guess it's worth mentioning I do private coaching, but it's fairly expensive, and I, I do think that the, especially if you're just starting, it's much more intelligent just to um, – with some of the cheaper options because it, you, whenever you have a small amount of disposable money to spend on poker, you don't want to be spending something like $600 for two hours of coaching when you're playing a $100 tournament and you expect to win you know, 10 bucks per hour or something at it. It doesn't make much sense. So definitely do things that make sense. And um, I, I think that the other things are probably a, a better use of money for most people. I, I love it. Float? The turn dot com. I, I I love your 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 smile there with the ace queen and the and the the the, the crystal trophy that you've got there. That that is a great picture on that that site. And I want to thank you, Jonathan Little. You have been a delight. I know that everyone is going to absolutely love this podcast. We're going to share it all over Facebook and Twitter because you offer a tremendous amount for people to understand. I really appreciate you for being on with me today, and thank you so much for showing up. This is Donna Blevins with Big Girl Poker Chat. Bye for now.